Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> All right. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are about to start our worship. So if you're able, stand to your feet and let's lift up our voices before the Lord. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, yeah, completely to you. So I walk upon salvation. Your spirit alive in me. My life to declare your promise. My soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I Oh, Lord, 
Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. Hey. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. us that where two or more are gathered, you are there in the midst. 
Lord, we welcome you among us today and celebrate the gift of life that you have lavished upon each of us. We ask that you would open our ears so that we may hear your voice. Open our minds so that we may receive your eternal wisdom. Open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that may we receive your wonderful love. We ask all this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we are so glad that you are here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out that Connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. Join us in spreading God's love to children around the world by filling a shoebox full of gifts for Operation Christmas Child. You can demonstrate God's love to people all over the world by packing boxes with practical items and special gifts. Shoe boxes and further information will be available on the patio on Sundays, starting October 29th through November 12th. We'll see you there. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to worship. Uh, I want to give you an update on what's happening in our church. Uh, Seven years ago, uh, I announced that we had a succession plan. And the idea was uh, every, every organization, every church should have a succession plan. And the idea that if something horrible happened, uh, like if the pastor stays, I mean, if the pastor goes or is, is hit by a truck or something, you have a plan. And the idea was this is what we, we wanted to say to people, that we believe that this church is built on Jesus Christ, not a person, uh, even not on a location. Uh, not even a cross-section of people. It's just, it's, it's, the, it's the Lord bringing people together. So uh, a year and a half ago, I announced that we were actually going to be implementing that succession plan. So for the last, actually, before that, we were, we were working on it. So for, for a couple of years now, we've been moving that direction in the last year and a half, very intensely so. And we haven't had much to talk to you about because it's been all over the place. Uh, it, there wasn't anything concrete we could say, this is what we're doing. This is what we've accomplished, because uh, nobody wants to see sausage made. You just want to see the sausage, right? And so uh, we have finally landed the plane. Uh, we finally have come in for a landing, and um, we have been on this nonlinear journey, a very focused journey. Uh, we knew what we needed to do is to set this church up for its next season of life, because our life cycle is at a place where we need to reset the clock. Uh, and so it's been circuitous, non-linear. We thought, well, it'll be beefing up our pastoral team. It would be bringing on a new senior pastor. Uh, it would not be having to deal with COVID, it, et cetera. Uh, and so coming through that journey, we realized, you know, maybe what God is showing us is that we need to do a baton pass to another church, which might shock you hearing those words. A baton pass to another church 
We've acquired the Vatican. I just wanted to let you know right up front that we now own Vatican City. And No, we wanted to go local, and we wanted to go uh, local in a way that was credible, and we wanted to identify what was God doing in the community around us that we could then contribute to. And it's a bit like Samuel, uh, Samuel 16. Um, uh, the Lord tells Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, uh, that uh, I want you to go anoint uh, a king. Don't get too detailed about the, the description of this passage because I'm not suggesting we're anointing a king. Uh, but he, he was supposed to say, we need uh, the new chapter, the new season for Israel. And so God tells him to go to Bethlehem and to visit a man named Jesse. Samuel says, well, Jesse's going to freak out when I show up, the prophet of Israel. They're going to feel like they're in big trouble. So he said, the Lord said, uh, invite them to a sacrifice to me. Invite them to a worship service and then uh, tell them why uh, you've come. And so that's what he does. And so it turns out that Jesse had seven sons. All of them striking, convincing, you know, people you'd say, that's the leader. No, that's, that's no, no, this is the... And so one by one, these sons are brought out by Jesse, and Samuel says, no, the Lord's, no, that's not the one. No, that's not the one. Uh, that's not the one. And, and the reminder to Samuel and to Jesse is the Lord looks at the heart, not just on the outside package. And so eventually, they go through all, these, all the sons that were there, and it's kind of an awkward moment to say to Jesse, hey, any more sons? I mean, who has six sons that all of whom you'd say, that, that, I want them on my team? Uh, so it's, it's, an, it's an awkward moment, I'm sure. And finally he says, yeah, yeah, we, we have another son. He's out in the fields with the sheep. And so this is what it's been like looking at possible churches to whom we can hand a baton. Fantastic options out there. Uh, so it's wonderful to see what God is doing in this community and around San Diego, around the state, around the world. And so we've landed, and yesterday we gathered uh, our, our members you might say, well, I'm a member. I wasn't there. We have you know, uh, uh, people who are official members. You have people who are functioning as members, but they're not official members. But we had a members meeting. Uh, we had a quorum. We had a, a, a great turnout of our core membership. Uh, and we presented them with this motion. The transfer, sale, and donation of the LJC property to Grace City Church has been approved by congregational vote and the LJCC Board of Trustees. Now, this might be a bit of a bombshell to you. Uh, uh, 18 years ago, uh, we were outgrowing our capacity at the Torrey Pines Hilton. <laughs> and it was hard to leave because what church has valet parking, a full restaurant, a pool, and a golf course? So it was a bit of a swap, uh, but we found out that this property was available. And it turns out that the, the church that was on the property had been given the property by another church planted by a church, you know, 40 years previously, College Avenue Baptist, had given the property, they started a church, they ran through their life cycle, they handed it off to another church, which will be, remain unnamed, and that church wanted to sell the property, and they were shopping around, and finally they couldn't sell it because of the market, and so we ended up buying the property for $8 million. We felt like that was kind of an odd thing, but okay, God was saying, we want you here, and so we, it all worked together, we, we got it. So 18 years later, we're in that same mode, and we said, well, we want to bequeath our church, uh, not sell our church, but there's some financial considerations, because we had $4 million of debt, and you just can't give that to somebody, it would crush them, 
if they weren't prepared for that. They wouldn't be able to do ministry. They'd be servicing debt. So through a series of events and the criteria that we were applying to all the churches we, we talked with, uh, it was like a, a Samuel moment when uh, of all these great options, God said, this is the one. This is the one. And so that's how Grace City Church uh, was invited to receive this campus uh, to continue their ministry that all of us are invited to certainly be a part of, but we're resetting the clock. Uh, the current staff will wrap up on, on December 20, uh, 31st. Our last official moment will be Christmas Eve. Uh, and then uh, uh, Grace City Church will acquire the property. The preschool still function. Their mission and culture is very similar to ours, so we looked at that as a core value criteria. And so uh, it's a new day. Um, and I, though I've never met anybody there, I don't know the pastor, I just thought what I, you know, we could go over and call him and, wait, oh my gosh, he's here today. Uh, Randall Tonini, would you come up here? Uh, Randall Tonini is the pastor of Grace City. I think you've seen his picture. Did that go up? Yeah, here's Randall and his family. Would you welcome Randall Tonini? Yeah, right there. Uh, Randall, Welcome. I've known Randall uh, since they started the church. Uh, about once a quarter, pastors would gather here uh, in my office, and we would check in with each other. We'd talk. We'd pray for each other. And uh, who knew that we'd be doing this someday? Uh, so Randall is a church planter, and out of that church, they planted other churches, not as a brand, but they've raised up church planters to go and plant churches. This is a church in the community, of the community, for the community. Uh, Randall, he won't, he won't tell you this, the largest event that happens in University City for the city is chaired uh, and managed by Randall. Uh, Randall can tell you the names of every administrator in the schools. His wife, Laura, is a, a teacher at La Jolla Country Day. Uh, so he's very much involved and committed uh, and planted firmly rooted in this community. So Laura can't be with us because she's celebrating her grandmother's 90th birthday. And, uh, but your three kids are here. Would you introduce them? Have them stand up. Yeah. Um, so I've got my oldest son, Kai, right there. He's 13. And then in the middle is my daughter, Ava. And then on the end there is my daughter, Elle. And um, yeah, they go to the school right across the, the street as yeah. well. So it's pretty close. But yeah. So 13, Love 11, and 10. Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about you. Everybody can go on the website later. Put your phone down at the moment and don't go on the website. Uh, uh, but uh, or watch football, please. But uh, tell us a little bit about you, uh, your story, you you and Laura's story, and and the founding uh, of Grace City Church. Yeah. So, uh, born in Hawaii, didn't grow up in the church. Um, my grandmother is a, is a faithful believer; would pray for me all the time, and just seeing her faith um, over the years. God uh, just ushered me into the kingdom, you know, and so as a 16-year-old came to Christ, and uh, from that point, I uh, felt a calling to ministry, and no one in my family was in ministry, so it was kind of an odd thing for my parents, like, okay, you're going to Bible college, but I went there, met my wife, Laura. Uh, she's an amazing uh, person, just loves Jesus. I was there for the teacher education program and uh, wanted to be a teacher, and uh, we got married. We've been married for 18 years, um, and then uh, we have three kids, uh, but been in ministry for 18 years, so started as a youth pastor uh, for eight and a half years, and then from there, um, 
my old youth pastor called. Um, he wanted to plant churches in San Diego, had been here, um, and said, would you consider planting a church? And it's like, no, never crossed my radar of like, I want to plant a church. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was like, yeah, like, you know, let's do this. It was just hard, you know. It's so um, after a lot of prayer and, uh, you know, just saying, okay, Lord, is this what you're wanting us to do? Uh, that's where we said, okay, we're, we're open to whatever you want, God. And uh, we walked the city and we're like, yeah, I think there needs to be uh, more churches. And, and so uh, we were praying about where we were going to plant. Um, and uh, we're driving around in our minivan, you know, just like, okay, Lord, where do you want us to be? And uh, one night we just stopped in the Starbucks that used to be at the Costa Verde over there. And my wife walked in and she came back in tears. She said, this is where the Lord wants us to be. I was like, all right, this is where, this is it. You know, this is where we're supposed to be. And so um, I remember driving by the high school and I'm like, I don't know why, but I feel like that's where we're going to be. And that's where we've been uh, for eight years. So we've been kind of in some different uh, spaces. I mean, at one point, our church uh, was during COVID was meeting in the park. Um, and so I just know that um, at the end of the day, the church is, is not a building. It's people. It's God's people. And, and we, so for us, we want to be a faithful presence of the gospel in University City, UTC. We love this community. Like I said, my, my wife teaches here. My kids go to school here. We live in this community. Uh, we know people, and, and we want to be a, a faithful presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ here uh, for as long as God allows us to be. Thank you. Uh, so as we fold into uh, what God is doing through Grace uh, City Church, and, and as, as we continue to uh, pray for and think creatively about how to uh, proclaim the gospel and word and deed here in, in this area, what's your vision? What do you see happening? Going from a high school to a campus, three and a half acres, a preschool capacity to grow, to do all kinds of creative things. Yeah, well, I, first, I'm extremely humbled um, by all of this. Uh, this came to us like pretty quickly, you know, and, and I feel like like that story with David, I, I just he wasn't expecting that. And, and that's where I feel like I connect with it is like, wasn't expecting all of this to happen. Um, but God has this bigger plan. And um, to see the steps of faith that um, everybody's taken, I just know you can't please God without faith, right? And so faith is what, uh, what, what all this is about. And, and so um, I know that we stand on the shoulders of this church community. Um, and you being here for 20 years and your faithfulness in this community, I just want to say thank you. Like, this is, this is by the grace of God. And, and, and so for us, um, and Pastor Steve and um, just everything, it's, it's, I just want us to know that, like, we're in this together. <laughs> you know, um, we're all in this together. And so uh, the, the people of Grace City, like, at the end of the day, we're not about the name Grace City. We're about Jesus Christ. And it's exactly what, what Steve said. It's about proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, and being a faithful presence here. Um, like I said, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church, and so uh, I knew what it was for somebody to look at me and say, I believe that God's got a calling on your life. 
you know, like for somebody to, to say that. My youth pastor said that. He's the one who called me to, to plant a church and said, I see God doing that in your life. And so we want to be a church that raises people up and that encourages people. Uh, we've already got a, a young man right now that's, that's we're training to be a church planter, uh, not a great city church planter, a church planter of in this community, in, in, in the city, somewhere where God is calling him to be. So we're saying, pray about it. Just like God gave me the opportunity to do that, I want you to have that opportunity. I want to raise you up. And so we want to raise up the next generation of leaders. Uh, we have a lot of young people in our church, a lot of college-age students. And so um, we need people who are seasoned in the faith. Uh, we need to invest in this next generation. And so I, I just hope that you would consider uh, joining and being a part of this. Um, because we need you. <laughs> we need you. And, um, and I just want to do this together uh, for the glory of God. Um, and so I, I really do believe that we, we are um, intergenerational as a church. And we need that, especially in this generation where it's so siloed and everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Um, we, we need to be together. And, um, and so I would be honored if you would consider that. And I'm sure there's a lot of questions you have like, okay, well, how's this going to work? And how's that going to work? And I just want you to know, like, I am here. I'm available. Please talk to me. Please ask me those questions uh, because we could figure that out together. We could pray about that together. But I believe that God has a, an amazing future uh, here in this church and, and what God is going to do in the future. Thanks. Well, so here's where we're going. Uh, we, there's a lot of details you can imagine to work out. The, the, the major rocks are in the jar. You know that analogy? How do you fill a jar with rocks and sand and pebbles and water? You put the big rocks in first. So we've identified the big rocks now for the next two months. We'll be working on the rest uh, of what we're going to fill that jar with. So there'll be a lot of conversations. All of your questions will be answered to some degree. Uh, you'll have a chance to get used to this idea for all of us. A change is some mix of gain and loss. If you, over the next weeks or, or months, feel like, hey, I feel like I've got some grief and loss going on here. Should I, is that okay to feel? Yeah, it's okay to feel. Uh, I, I was a big mess of, of tears when our kids went off to college. And Jan's going, what is with you? We've been anticipating this for 18 years. What is, like, I don't know why. You know. Uh, and, and then they got married. Oh, my gosh, what was that all about? And so... They left home. They abandoned us, you know. And so I, 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 at first I thought, gosh, I'm being demoted. I'm not the main guy in their lives anymore. And I realized, no, I've been promoted. I'm a father-in-law. I'm a grandfather, you know. Um, so here we are looking at a, a transition. And transitions, if you've ever watched a baby being born, it's not a pretty sight. It's a wonderful event eventually. But when some woman looks at you and says, you did this to me, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, no. Uh, but if, you know, the transitions are, in life are hard. But the beautiful thing is God is the God of transitions. And if we're honest, he's always preparing us for a transition. He's always helping us recover in the midst of a transition. And he's always helping us to understand the wisdom of what that transition means in us and through us for his kingdom. This is the entire story of the Bible. Abram. Leave the place that's familiar. Go to the place I'm calling you to. And all those things would pop up, and you second-guess God. And go, oh, yeah, wait, what about this? Yeah, this is where I'm going to meet you. Israel, you're going to take the land. Right, there's some big dudes there. What are we, how are we going to deal with that? A big challenge. I'm with you. 
etc., etc., etc. Jesus on the cross, his last words, it is finished, it's fulfilled, it's in play. So here we are, the church in play. Uh, and so uh, we'll be giving you all more information, more details to come, transitions will be worked out. And uh, uh, we're not going to try to talk anybody into feelings or out of feelings. We just do our best to interpret for you the whys and wherefores of this decision. Uh, your board has worked assiduously, dedicatedly, hours and hours and hours and hours of, of thought and prayer, uh, disappointment, thinking, wait, we thought, no, what about uh, disappointment in the sense of we thought it would come together pretty easily and conventionally. Why do we have to be in this process? Well, because it was a birthing process. Uh, we conceived this idea, but the birthing of it took a lot of time and preparation. And uh, so now uh, we're presenting this to you and uh, inviting you to say, okay, Lord, uh, what, what's, the, what's the word for you in me in this next season of my life? Where am I in my life cycle with you? Uh, so uh, much to understand, much to celebrate as we go forward. If you're here for the first time today, you're probably saying, what kind of church is this? You know, you know, they're all happy about bequeathing the campus to somebody else. Well, this is how the church functions. Oh, Randall and I share a vision, and that is that you don't drive 10 minutes to see your church. Oh, another one of our churches, another one of our churches. You drive 10 minutes and you say, there's a thriving body of Christ, and I know the people there. And we pray for each other, we partner with each other, and we are the body of Christ. We're not a lot of brands that are competing. We're the body of Christ cooperating. And uh, Randall has that heart. He has, he's, he's held in high regard by pastors throughout the city. Uh, I hope as you get to know him, you'll, you'll share that feeling as well. So I'm going to pray for him. They actually have to go to church. Uh, he can't be late for work. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to pray for him and his family. He'll be back here next Sunday to preach. You get to meet Laura and the kids and have more extended time to talk with them. Uh, they'll be joining us for Christmas Eve. Uh, our, our, our last hurrah in this room together, but the first of many hurrahs in this room together as well. So Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that your hand has been on Randall through his faithful grandmother, through the people who've influenced him and led him to you and taught him your ways and have encouraged him as he grew in his faith and discovered his gifts and used them to your glory and to bless people. And every time, Lord, you would, would surprise him with the next stage in the journey, the next season of his life, we thank you for how you brought him and Laura together, blessing them with these three children, these great kids. We thank you, Lord, for the courage you had, uh, the boldness and faith to step out in faith and to uh, plant Grace City Church. We thank you for the men and women who've been integral to that, without whom this church uh, wouldn't exist in this community. And so, Lord, it's their story as well. And I pray for them as they get used to this new idea of a larger footprint in uh, University City and beyond. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom and discernment as we comfort one another through the change process and as we confront those, perhaps, who uh, would, would unintentionally want to sabotage this uh, or undermine it out of, out of good intentions, perhaps, out of mixed feelings. But speak to them in their heart. Give them the peace that passes understanding. And, Lord, we pray that everything we say and do would bring honor and glory to you and bless people in your name. And that the suffering and sacrifice that you call out of us is all part of the gift you give to us to walk with you and to see that you are faithful to your promises and you're fulfilling them uh, in Christ and through faithful people walking with Christ. So Lord, we thank you for that and embrace that. Lord, we pray for revival and renewal and awakening uh, in, in this church, in Grace City Church, and 
this community, uh, so many who are hungry for it, Lord, uh, are, are praying for this. We pray that that would be the case. Protestant, Catholic, large, small, uh, independent, denominational, we pray that the Spirit of God would sweep through your church, revive it, renew it, uh, for a city that desperately needs it, a beautiful place, Lord, needs to know the beauty of your presence in it. And so, Lord, that's our prayer. And I thank you and praise you for what you've brought us to right now and that we get to celebrate in the weeks and months ahead. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Well, thank you. And Randall, I hope it goes well today. Would you please, uh, as Randall slips out with the kids, would you please just turn and stand up for a second and just greet the people around you and say, hello, how are you feeling? (laughs) (laughs) What's that? He's going to Grace City Church. No, where is that? Is there an oh, actual location? Oh, at University High. It's a location? Yeah. Would everybody here? They have offices over by UTC and then the churches, the high schools. Yeah. All righty. <clears throat> well, we've been on a journey asking seven uh, primal questions. Uh, seven primal questions. Uh, if you haven't been with us, what comes to your mind when you think of a primal question? Uh, perhaps if you're a smart aleck or a cynic, you say, ah, for me, a primal question is, who do, who do you think you are? You know, um, what's going on here? Uh, what's in it for me? But the seven primal questions are questions like this. Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I successful? Am I good enough? These are primal questions. And uh, we, we suggested you read a book about these primal questions. We're not preaching from that book, but it's a great um, additional resource as you think about these questions. And the, the book by Mike Foster, well-written, great practical book, you won't, feel, you won't read it and say, gee, it's biblical or theological. He's a follower of Jesus, and so everything comes out of his experience of God's word and, and, and uh, God's grace and, and, and you know, Orthodox theology, but it's a book written for the mass market to say this is really great practical stuff. What we've been doing is taking a deep dive in the foundational part of it, the Word of God and, and the theology, that is the understanding of, of what God's Word is, is saying to us uh, and how we might apply that in the world around us. So uh, today we're talking about the last question, which is this, do I have a purpose in life? Uh, do I have a purpose in life? Uh, and the simple answer is Yes you have a purpose in life. And actually, yes, you're living a purpose. You're living out of a purpose. Uh, and the question is, we're going to explore what, where is that purpose coming from? So our purpose in life is to live in relationship with God. To live in relationship with God. When we read the Bible, it's so easy to read the Bible as other people. Well, it was a certain, different time, a different place. People were either naive or whatever they were, it was a simpler time. But you start reading history and you go, none of it was simple. How simple is it when you, in your village, you have a version of Hamas coming over the hill and, and what they want to do you in? You read that, that's the backdrop of the entire Bible. The same countries were involved, actually. You know, the Assyrians, uh, the Persians, uh, coming from places like Iraq, Iran, uh, coming from other places uh, like Rome 
coming in and, and blowing everything up. So the world that we see in the Bible is not a simple world. It's a complex world. It's an overwhelming world. It's a world that's difficult. And in the midst of that, God speaks his promise to humankind saying, I am going to redeem the world I created and called good. It's not good. It's undermined by evil. It's undermined by confusion, uh, mixed motives, and cross-purposes. And so God's purpose, really, when you boil it down, uh, not reducing its, its power or um, significance, but by, by reducing it to its you know, basic core um, element, is Him. He is our purpose in life. He is our purpose in life. We see this in Genesis 1 and 2, that God created us on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. Uh, to, to not, not to lord it over creation, but to care for creation, to manage creation, to explore all the possibilities in the created world. Uh, and then you see in Genesis 3 a disruption of that, a rebellion against that. Having given us free will, we chose not to obey God, not to trust God. And we listened to other voices that were saying, did God really say? Can God really do? Is he holding out on you? And so the rest of the Bible then is about God saying, okay, I'm going to redeem the world that I created for a purpose, on purpose, with a purpose. And purpose is then more than a plan for your life. This is one of the, I think, one of the things that happens that gets conflated when people say, what's my purpose? They're often asking, what's my plan? What's my pathway? Good question. Um, but you can have people with the same plan, but based on the purpose that drives them in that plan, they have a very different experience or a very different outcome for that plan. Uh, you look at every business debacle, every major blow-up in business, every scandal in science, every horrible thing that happens somewhere in the world, and you say, how did that happen? Uh, well, because that person said, my purpose is to make money, have power, manipulate and control people, do whatever they're going to do. And then when you're finally held accountable, what do you say? You say, the lawyers told me to do it, so I did it. I'm just a simple guy trading crypto. I didn't know where the billions of dollars went. It just kind of evaporated. But it certainly wasn't my fault. Why? Why would a person say that? Because we don't know what we don't know, but we have a hunch that we're the problem. So God's purpose is to say, there's that problem that I have come to speak to. You're not a problem. You're made in the image of God. Your problem is that you don't really believe that, and you don't accept that, and you don't understand the implications of that. Can you imagine flying with a pilot who said, you know, I just love flying, and really all this instrumentation is, a, is annoying and distracting. I find just by looking at what's going on, I really know what's going on. Uh, would you get in a plane with a pilot like that? I don't think so. You wouldn't like it if the pilot came out and said, hey, uh, big special we're doing this month, we're flying without instrumentation, just a new way of shaking things up and making the experience different and unique for our, our guests. You know, you go, no, no, please go with the instrumentation. God wants to help us understand there's, that there, we were created for a purpose, and unless we know him, we can't have access to the elemental aspects of that purpose. But we're hungry for it nonetheless. So purpose is the... Um, foundation on which our plans are built. Purpose is the reason something is done or created and for which it exists. So purpose as a noun is a thing. And then purpose as a verb is about uh, our intention or objective embodied in plans and actions. And so our purposes, our purpose shapes our plans. 
supports our plans, sustains our plans, or doesn't. And so what we do, because it's difficult to take the time, it's emotionally challenging, intellectually tiring, it's socially often um, you know, not motivating to say, I'm really working on my purpose for life. So what we do is we punt on it. We say, it's not that important. Just do stuff. Do the things you want to do. How about this one? How about the Christian version of it? The well-intended but ineffective Christian version of it. Do great things for God. Your purpose is to do great things for God. And what kind of burden is that for a child? Oh my gosh, my mom and dad thinks I'm gonna do, I have to do great things for God. What can I possibly do that's that great? I'm a kid. I one time asked uh, our eldest daughter, who's now 34, she was about four, and I was kind of kidding around, but she didn't quite get that I was kidding around. You know how dad humor goes. And so I said, so Lauren, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she took it seriously. She goes, well, I really wanted to be um, like Tinkerbell, a fairy. But all I have are these kids' arms. I don't have the right wings. I said, well, and I'm trying not to laugh because I'm thinking, why would you think you needed wings to fulfill your purpose in life? I said, sweetie, your arms are exactly what God gave you. You know, what do you want to do with your arms? You know, we talked about that. So it's that sort of thing. A parent can say to a kid, God wants you to do great things for him. And that's an incredible burden. Pastors, well-intended pastors, say to the congregation, your mission, your purpose is to do great things for God. And then we trot in some guy like Bob Goff, and you go, holy moly, does that guy even sleep? I was talking to somebody one time, and, and, and they said, you know, Bob, you know, about Bob, if, if I had all the money and time he had, I'd, I'd, I'd be Bob Goff too. You go, well, no, it's Bob's just being Bob. Billy Graham was being Billy Graham. I mean, I'm picking names you might know. Mother Teresa was Mother Teresa. Uh, people who we say, okay, those are the big iconic people, and I, now that they're got it, they've got it covered, I don't, I'm off the hook, because I could never do what they do. In fact, one time somebody said to Mother Teresa, you know, I wouldn't do what you do for a million dollars, and she said, neither would I. I do it because God has uniquely equipped and called me to do this. What has he called you to do? There was an amazing woman um, um, Anita Figueredo, she lived down on, on the coast. Uh, if you go past the Lifeguard Guard Tower, if you're, if you're looking up toward the Contemporary Art Museum, uh, she lived in this awesome house with her eight children and her husband. And she was about five, I, I'm trying to remember how tall she was, she's like five two, in heels. And uh, she was the first cardiothoracic surgeon in San Diego. And uh, she had a heart for people like nobody's business. And so she was concerned not only for people in La Jolla, where she lived and doing great surgery. She was concerned for the people in northern Baja, not just for the poverty, but she said there's a lot of people who are mentally ill down there. You can't tell. They're so poor and, 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 and you know, they're just doing crazy things. You don't know if it's because they're desperate or because they're not well. And she said, you know, I need some help to, to solve that. So she started a pen pal relationship with Mother Teresa. And when Mother, she said, Mother Teresa, you've got to start a Sister of Charity branch in Northern Baja. And so Mother Teresa said, okay. And she came to San Diego, and there's a mile-long 
uh, line of people wanting to meet Mother Teresa, and Anita, being Anita, a very humble woman, confident. I mean, she was like, you know, I said, I said maybe 5'2", going on 6'5", you know, in terms of getting stuff done. But she patiently stood in the back of the line, and eventually Mother Teresa looks at her and realizes, oh my gosh, it's my, my sister. And so she, she runs, and they, the two diminutive women hugging each other. Um, some of you in this room uh, uh, knew Mother Teresa and worked with Mother Teresa. Um, why am I telling you this story? It's because, well, Mother Teresa, Anita Figueredo, which one was the, the one living their purpose for God, the one living in the beautiful estate in La Jolla, looking at the beach every day? Or the one slugging it out in the slums of India or the, the, the backwaters of Baja? Well, obviously, you'd say the one who's walking according to God's purposes. They were, how did you know? They were filled with joy. These women were filled with joy. So the idea is not to say, um, do great things for God. How about just be you in Christ? And if you're the unnoticed, overlooked, you know, preschool teacher who loves kids generation after generation, you live in your purpose, right? So the idea is if you hate kids, don't think it's God's purpose for you to be a preschool teacher, because that sounds like the holiest, hardest thing I could do. Uh, and don't disparage the fact that, well, I work in a tire shop and I must not be living God's purpose. Are you with me on this? Purpose is something about our being before it's something about our doing. And if we get the being part right, simply saying, what does it look like to be alive in Christ and let him lead me in that process, then the doing will sort itself out. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 7. Therefore, anyone and everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who builds a house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Notice it doesn't say one thing about architecture. Window treatments, flooring, finishing. It says nothing about the interior design. It says nothing, you know, there's nothing about this house other than what it's built on. It leaves us guessing. I wonder what kind of house that was. It doesn't, doesn't really matter because anyone that's built on sand is not going to withstand the elements of life. Period. It's beautiful, but it's done. You just don't know it yet. You've heard of a dead man walking. This is a, a fallen house waiting to fall. So purpose is that foundational thing that only the Lord can provide. So what's the purpose behind Jesus' words and Jesus' purpose in saying them? Well, it's, it's Jesus fulfilling God's promise and purpose to fulfill Israel's story and include us in it. What is the gospel? The gospel is not, you can be saved, here's how. Because lots of people say, you can be saved and here's how. Buy my product. Acquire my service. Invest in this. It'll save you. You'll have a great this or a great that. Follow my, you know, enslaving authoritarian cult. The gospel is not you can be saved and here's how. The gospel is this. Jesus, the Lord, fulfills Israel's story and includes us in it. That's the full gospel. That's why the Old Testament is essential for understanding your purpose and what the gospel's purpose is. 
That's why the New Testament is essential. We haven't outgrown it, and, and now we toss it aside. We come up with better things. Uh, Mike Foster's book is a great book. Without Jesus and our awareness of him, that book becomes great, one, one more version of Great Intentions. Because you'll never resolve the answer to the questions, am I safe, am I secure, am I loved, am I wanted, am I successful, am I good enough, do I have a purpose? Jesus tells you that. Yeah, you're good enough because my grace is sufficient for you. Yes, you're loved because look at my hands. Yes, you're wanted, look, I've sent my Holy Spirit. Yes, you're safe, come to me. You, you see where this goes? Yes, you're secure, nothing and no one can separate you from my love. Yeah, but, well, there's a lot of other things we, we sort out from that, but those core things are essential, not incidental. And so, here's how Jesus fulfills that. Uh, here's what Jesus fulfills, I should say. We see this in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, God is telling Moses to tell Aaron, this is the blessing uh, I want to give to the people. This is the underpinning and the overwhelming architecture and foundation of my purpose for you and your purpose in me. So it comes right out of the Old Testament. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then he says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Do you know that's the oldest fragment of the Bible we have? We have lots of copies of the Bible and uh, multiple copies from different areas so that when somebody says the Bible is just, it's all messed up because it's so old and we don't have the original copy, we have, we have put together, whether it's the Dead Sea Scrolls or other kinds of portions of the Bible, pretty much we have the entire Bible accounted for with full credibility. But in terms of an actual piece of papyri, this, is, this little snippet is the most original one that's on the planet today, and I can't remember what museum it's in. But it's so core to who we are. This is our, pur our purpose is to be blessed by God who keeps us, whose face shines on us, who's gracious to us, who turns his face toward us and gives us peace. That's shalom, the wholeness and fullness of life that, that comes from God himself. So this is why Jesus could say with purpose and authority, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. I have come, this is the next slide coming up, I have uh, come that you might have life in all its fullness. What is that fullness? It's the shalom of God. And you might say, well, my, my life feel, feels incomplete. Well, yeah, but <laughs> you're not done yet. You're just not done yet. It's a process of you being developed in Christ. The reality is, is set. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called the Erebon of God, the deposit, the down payment. Because we have the Holy Spirit, by receiving Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you might have very interesting experiences with the Holy Spirit throughout your life, but don't be thinking, oh, I finally had this ecstatic experience, I must now have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you've invited Christ into your life. They don't come in installments, they come as a complete package. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, uh, you are a work in progress. You're saved, you're secure, you're in me, nothing can change that. But who you will be is yet to be seen. This is why Paul can write to the Corinthians, we don't yet know what we shall be, but we shall be changed. Uh, this is posted over every, over every nursery and every church in America. We shall all be changed. 
It's dad humor, okay? So we don't know what will be yet. Paul, at the end of his letter, or at the end of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he's talking about love, and he says, you know, faith, hope, and love, the greatest. Right now, he says, I'm like a person looking in a, in a window or a mirror. I can't really quite see everything clearly. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see where this goes? You can live fully in your purpose right now. And here's the interesting thing. Everyone lives with a sense of purpose. Everyone. We cannot live without a sense of purpose because it's wired into us by God. So if everyone is living for some purpose, the question is, whose purpose and what purpose is it? I, 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 I referred to this a few moments ago. What is motivating you to do what you do? One person makes their plans for prestige or status or security or material gain, and they hate it. Somebody else does it, and they say, you know, uh, I love it. We do the same thing. How come you love it and you hate it? Well, probably one is in alignment with not God's purpose, but the outflowing of God's purpose for them. Both of them can know the, the security, uh, you know, uh, the saving grace of the Lord. But oftentimes, what faith does for us, it, it forces us, or at least invites us to stop and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? This is why your spiritual gifts are so important. So if you're a highly effective person and you walk into the church and you say, hey, put me to work, yeah. Um, hey, would you pass out these brochures as people walk in the door? And you think, okay, sure, I'm going to do that. What else? Well, no, no, that's all we want you to do. And all of a sudden the message is, it's trivial. They want me to do things that I, I could do so much more. Well, it's not trivial because it's functional, that you're do, serving a purpose, but there's more for you, right? So the idea is, whether we're doing the simple mundane things, every giant executive, every superpower leader, athlete, you name it, has to go home and take the trash out. So stay in touch with their humanity. But they're capable of much more than the basic things. So this is the idea that everybody is, is living with a sense of purpose, but whose purpose? What purpose is driving you? If, you? if you constantly come back to and, and reconnect with and right-size and reframe around, ah, I'm walking with God, the God who blesses me, sees me, et cetera, et cetera, then all of a sudden you realize, hey, if I'm sensing that this is not really working for me, I have options. I can do different things. Or this is the best it's going to be, so right in the midst of this, Lord, would you meet me so I can be faithful to you? Sometimes you don't have very many options. Um, I'm going to go up in February to San Quentin Prison. They finally caught up with me. <laughs> um, a friend of mine goes up there every month, and he said, hey, when can you come up there with me? I said, gosh, I just, I just haven't been able to do it. So finally this week I said, I, I think I'm, my gig is over. I can go up with you in February. So when I go into that prison, I'm gonna, I won't go and say, you know, you guys can go anywhere and do anything. It's kind of silly. What I wanted to do is understand what is it that God is doing in you in this place. And I want to lean in and understand what that looks like. And for the guys that are going to be there forever, how are you framing that understanding? And for the guys that have six more months to go, how are you framing that? We have options. Our purpose lets us do anything and everything in the sense that I don't have to live up to your expectations or anybody else's. I can say, what do I sense God calling me to do and be? And if it's a humble thing, I'm right in the sweet spot because my purpose is always the same, to love God and to enjoy Him forever. 
and not to compare myself to other people, not to compete with other people. Now, if what I believe I'm called to do is really hard and frustrating, that doesn't discount it either. Hang in there, keep going. So if our purpose in life is walking with the Lord who blesses us and keeps us, what does that look like? Well, it looks like all the things you've heard about. Reading the Bible, saying, Lord, speak to me through your word, through your Holy Spirit, help me understand this. Uh, coming alongside people saying, I'm not really good at relationships, I, I love relationships, I want to be in relationship with you, let's talk about what God might be doing in us to encourage each other, and maybe to collaborate together. You start doing some basic things, Bible study, worship, prayer, you learn some spiritual disciplines, some practices, praying, sometimes fasting, um, caring about things you didn't used to care about, learning to say yes and no at the right times. You see where this goes? We're being developed as fully alive people based on our purpose. And as we do that, our purpose starts to become more clear to us. And so you can take outrageous risks because I believe this is what I'm supposed to do. Or I can say, you know what, that sounds really appealing, but I, I made this commitment and I really believe I need to stick with it and forego that other thing. Not because God will like me better or I'm more spiritual looking, but because I'm just convinced after praying and seeking counsel, go for it. So his purpose is what feeds us, it's what fuels us, it's what forms us, it's what fulfills us, it's essential and foundational, and our plans are variable and optional. Plans can always change God's purpose for us doesn't. You are a beloved child of God. Yeah, but I'm here in a cell in San Quentin. You are nonetheless a beloved child of God. You made some wretchedly bad decisions. You've done some things that you've repented for, and you'll regret for the rest of your life. You are a beloved child of God. You, you see the power of that? Nobody can take your purpose away from you. But if you're living out of a purpose that oh, I've got to please people all the time. I've got to dominate people all the time. I'm so afraid to be found out. I've got to keep doing these things so nobody... My gosh. Your purpose now is maintaining a false self. Your purpose has become projecting a false self. Your, your purpose has become making sure that nobody gets what you don't have. You know, it gets crazy. Permutations of this. As we constantly come back to our real purpose, we say, I want to know and enjoy God one day at a time. I want to pray for people to have that same access and experience, however they experience it in Christ. And so I'm a free man. Do you know when you're a free man or woman, you are dangerous. Free people are dangerous people. Not because they're out of control doing crazy things. Hamas are not free people. The people sitting in San Quentin weren't free people who just ended up in San Quentin. They were people who were not free for all kinds of reasons, of their own choices and of choices of other people. Free people are people who know their purpose and are secure in that because they go, you know what? What I make is not my identity. What I do is not my identity. My identity is secure in the one who blesses me, keeps me, makes his face shine on me, is gracious to me, turns his face toward me, and gives me his shalom. Therefore, Jesus affirmed and fulfilled what God taught Israel. Jesus said, Hear, O Israel. This is the great Shema. Hear, the, 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 you know, the imperative of, hey, listen up. Hear, O Israel. 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second to the greatest commandment, and this is a corollary to the greatest commandment, is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, there's no commandment greater than these. Again, a call to purpose. I've got to pretend to love people I hate. No. Learn to love the Lord your God. Learn to love yourself. And learn to love people out of that. And loving them might be having really clear boundaries that these people can't take your life over. Loving them might mean you're going to go the extra mile again and again and again because you are committed to loving them, not being codependent with them. So the power of this is that our, 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 the resilience, the creativity, the perseverance, the resourcefulness that becomes ours when we get clear on our purpose makes us free people and therefore dangerous because dangerous people, in the best sense, can tell the truth. Hey, I'm seeing this. It really concerns me. We confront people with respect and love. We comfort people. Hey, I don't exactly know what to say, but man, my heart is going out to you. I can't get it out of my head what you're going through. I'm praying for you. I don't know what else to say or do, but you're free. Somebody asks you a question. Instead of pretending, oh, yeah, well, I don't know. Wow, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about it that way. You're free. Dangerous because nobody can, nobody can put you in a box. I know exactly what she'll do. Really? I, uh, I know he's predictable. Okay. Maybe, though, he's acting out of a sense of purpose, and when you see anything that confronts or, or tries to take that out, you'll see a different side of him and say, no, I don't do that. So our purpose is being loved and doing love. What would it look like for you? What would it look like for our church in this new, new era, new season? What does it look like for you in your relationship with your mom and dad, your kids, your grandparents, your friends? What does it look like uh, for you in the marketplace? Um, with whom you, the people with whom you work. What does it look like for you at school? What does it look like for you in, in your leisure pursuits? What is it looking like for you? And are you free and so clear on your purpose that you can say, this is not for me? One of the hardest things to say no is, uh, one of the hardest things to say is no. And then have a coherent answer for why you say no. One of the hardest things to do is to say yes and to, and to have a coherent reason for saying yes. So embrace your purpose. Uh, and this is, this is the promise, again, that's carried forward, and this is in this case from Paul, uh, the apostle of God, uh, who was a persecutor of Christ's people, and then became an ardent follower and spokesperson for Christ and his people. Here's what Paul said. If we do this, if we embrace our purpose, he says, the peace of God, which transcends the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, not irrational, but goes beyond even rationality, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God in Christ, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the promise of your purpose. Enjoy it. You've got it. Claim it. Own it. Try it on. Work it out. Live into it. Enjoy it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. For those who don't know you yet, but are nonetheless uh, beloved of you, I pray that they'd come to know your love. They'd come to understand that you alone can remove the burden of sin and the fear of death. You alone can give them the meaning and purpose to whatever they do. It's you, Lord, to whom we turn because you are the one who created all things and called them good. You're the one who's redeeming it back to that goodness that you alone can provide. I thank you, Lord, for the hunger you allow us to experience for that. 
the yearning. And thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can be actually satisfied, fulfilled uh, along the way as we, as we feast on this purpose that you've given to us, this rich banquet of your presence. So we pray this and thank you for this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. We're going to wrap up with a song and worship. This is an offering time. Again, not a money-giving time. It's the offering of you to God, uh, of offering of your problems to God, your, your praises to God. Uh, if you want to contribute financially, there's a little offering box there, or you can send something in the mail. We're, we're happy to receive any kind of offering, but right now it's offering you. Uh, so let's do that together, and then I'll jump up afterwards and offer you a blessing before you go, inviting you to go out and get something to eat, uh, fill out one of those boxes to bless some kids somewhere, or to go around the corner. Uh, in the front of our church has a beautiful prayer garden, and we'd love to pray for you about anything that concerns you or uh, that you're concerned about for someone else. Let's worship him. Believe in the hope.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a great day. Get something to eat. Jump in for some prayer. Fill in one of the boxes. See you next week.